From the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Mr. Weaver, here we are again at the Global News Network desk of the Omaha Bugle, and we are once again full of insights, wit, and wisdom today. I would like to talk about the recent arrest or surrender or plea bargain of Hunter Biden. Imagine that. Hunter Biden, America's favorite fair-haired boy, I guess. Uh, I'm sure there's some kind of discussion we can have about the nitwit falling from the tree or not falling far from the tree or whatever. But I just want to go over this briefly, if I may. Apparently, Hunter Biden decided that it would be okay not to pay taxes for two years. He was also in possession of a firearm. And again, I'm not full possession of the charges, et cetera, from where it occurred, because obviously laws vary from state to state. But they said it was a, I guess it was a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms issue. And he had the gun, believe it or not, while he was still addicted to crack. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Well, yeah, that was my first thought. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I'm just thinking if you're on the right type of drugs, it might steady your hand when you're actually shooting the firearm. You know what? I have a sneaking suspicion that crack cocaine is probably not the drug of choice if you want a steady hand. But to me, it's absolutely remarkable the way that the younger Mr. Biden is being treated. Now, I didn't realize that he, in addition to being a world famous artist, apparently is also an attorney and a consultant. So that certainly kind of changes the complexion, I think. Well, he was a consultant for, I believe it was called the Burisma Company in Ukraine, and I believe received $80,000 a month uh, for lending his wisdom, his knowledge of Ukrainian politics, worldwide politics, and perhaps just a little bit for the fact that his father was the vice president at the time. Oh, oh. Do you think any that might have had anything to do with the 80000 a month? No, I, hmm. I, I think it's just a coincidence. You know, those things are sometimes quite remarkable in how uh, those sort of things happen. Fascinating. Now, here's something that I find intriguing. I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with the IRS, but the IRS, to my way of thinking, and heard it described this way, is pretty much a domestic terrorist organization. Hillary Clinton used them to wipe out, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, the head of the former White House travel office. Mm-hmm. You know, they effectively bankrupted him. Can't remember what his name was, so I'm apologetic for that. But I thought that was interesting. And I've had an encounter with the IRS back in the late 1980s when I was still running, doing some construction business and real estate and construction business. And I think you recall the Tax Reform Act of 1986, I believe it was, when the IRS changed the test for self-employment and they simplified it from 12 points to 24 points, which certainly caused me to question the truncating, as they called it, of the test. But nonetheless, my recollection was that when the IRS wanted to call on me to visit me in my office and look at my books, it was under the threat of going to jail. And you know, certainly I know people who have, in fact, been incarcerated as a result of their relationship with the IRS. And I don't think I have ever heard of a case where anybody has ever gotten a misdemeanor IRS case. Just kind of, yeah, okay, we'll give them probation. 
Yeah, that's kind of been my experience is that it's not exactly like a warm and fuzzy visit to grandma's house when you have the IRS contacting you. My involvement has not really been audit, although that may be getting lined up for the next 20 or 30 years as we speak. Yeah, well, yeah. After but, this show, it probably will happen. After this show, you know, they're not, they're not going to take too kindly to it. But what I do recall is if I would get behind in the taxes, you know, the estimated taxes and so forth, there'd be a nice little letter, usually not perfumed or on high quality stationery, but a letter essentially saying, if you didn't pay so much by such and such date, we're going to put a lien on your property. And your property can be anything. It can be bank accounts. They can garnish. It can be uh, put a lien and foreclose a lien on your house. Any property, they're quite good at tracking that stuff down when they have the mind to do so. So you Mm -hmm. can bet that gave me every incentive possible to get the monies owed paid before that showed up in the public records. Because, you know, let's face it, that's not going to look too good on your credit score or your credit report when they pull it up. So that's what sort of surprised me was we didn't hear anything about former liens being filed. And this doesn't take a year or so to, to have these liens filed. I mean, they, you know, they let you know pretty quickly when they're unhappy with you. And oh, suddenly yeah. it's in the public records. But I think this, Adam, I think this case has been going on for, what, three years, four years, something like yeah, that? Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah my, I mean, my recollection point, was the IRS didn't do anything for three years. They did it for like maybe three weeks tops. Yeah. But I mean, that's the whole thing is like, what was going on here whereby you and I would have basically had all of our accounts emptied out by now and our property seized. I'd probably be living in a cardboard box under a bridge by now if I had waited three years to take care of you know these notices. Mm-hmm. And so it does lend some credence to the concern by expressed by certain people that we have a bit of a two-tiered system of justice where some people skate and others, like you and I, even though we are media moguls, we would suffer the consequences of not abiding by the demand letters that we pay the taxes promptly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it would be an issue if it were just one. But my understanding based on my reading is that two years that he decided not to pay. And Well, that, well, that was his system. Oh, okay. That was the system. You know, some people have a system for gambling. He he has a system figured out for tax planning. <clears throat> and it works. It's great until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Nice. You know, I'm looking at an article that says that he's just struck a deal with federal prosecutors to plead guilty to two tax crimes and admitting to gun charges. Now, under the deal, according to this article, he'll plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges. And they'll waive the felony possession of a firearm while using illegal drugs. And this took three years to get this figured out. Uh huh. I think a junior prosecutor could have come to this kind of deal in about oh, a couple of days or so. I mean, I mm-hmm. think Mr. Biden probably would have been quite happy to take this kind of deal pretty early on. Well, it goes on. It goes on in the article to say that the normal American would face up to 15 years in federal prison mm-hmm. for lying on the ATF form that apparently he filled out for the gun and five years apiece for each of tax accounts. Wow. So now that I have my shoes off, that seems to me to be 25 years for the ordinary run-of-the-mill American citizen. But it appears that Mr. Biden will be getting a two-year misdemeanor probationary punishment, whatever you'd call that. And in fact, if he completes that two years, they will dismiss the charges, uh, the gun charges. Wow. 
He must have a really good lawyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny, too, because I was doing a little bit more reading about this, and somebody had mentioned the incidents to his father, who said, you know, less than a month ago, quote, I'm very proud of my son. I went to, I went a little bit further, did a little sniffing around, because I was curious as to what the young Mr. Biden's drug of choice was, and read that he was a crack addict. Okay. I understand addiction is a very serious issue in this country, and certainly crack has been a pernicious contributor to that. But <laughs> he even, and this is, this I don't know when this occurred. I guess it's some excerpts or maybe a little bit of a quote from an interview. Hunter Biden talks about his upcoming, or if it's not already published, biography about how he actually made crack in his parents' home. Well, he really is very multi-talented, isn't he? I mean, aside from mm -hmm. all the other things you mentioned, I mean, he's obviously got a skill with chemistry as well, which just shows you how far above most of us the Biden family talents are. Well, I was just wondering. Now, if you could speculate for a moment, if that those charges that had been preferred, I believe is the correct term, against you or I, mm -hmm. first and foremost, how do you think that would unfold? Well, my mother would have been really ticked off at me. You know, if you spill crack, you can get stains on the rug, stains on the upholstery and everything. And we would find that very thoughtless on my part. I think when you make that stuff, it also leaves a bit of an odor in the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I suspect my mother would be very unhappy about that and probably order me to get out of the house. Hmm. As far as the law enforcement, well, if it's you or I, I think they would probably come up with some more charges because we did it in their home, maybe drag the parents in under some sort of theory of co-conspirators or something. Well, of course. Of course. Your octogenarian parents were providing you the, the facilities to manufacture controlled substances. So they well, need to quite be brought a, into the... Well, it is quite a good cover, isn't it? I mean, who would suspect the Leave It to Beaver household is manufacturing vast quantities of illicit drugs? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it makes me wonder, because to your point, I understand that you make crack cocaine by cooking cocaine with baking soda in some form or fashion. And mm -hmm. I would imagine that would certainly give off a peculiar and certainly very distinctive odor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, how did Dr. Jill and the senior Biden miss that? The other thing is, why would a crack-addicted attorney consult need a 38 special? That's a very good question. I've not read any rationale for having the firearm. Yeah, nor have I. But you're an attorney. I mean, when was the last time in your practice you needed a 38? Well, that's the benefit of doing real estate work as opposed to criminal work. If you're doing criminal work, you might want to keep one around for dealing with some of your less savory clients. But I don't think you and I typically have to worry about uh, being shot in the office or something by most of the people we deal with. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen too often. But I think you raise an interesting question, which I think you brought up tangentially before, about you have somebody who's admitted admitted he's addicted to crack cocaine and he's got a gun and i'm just thinking that that poses a bit of a risk to the public welfare that somebody could go outside and start blasting away for whatever real or imagined demon he's exercising so i don't understand why the gun charge was taken so lightly 
I don't get that either. The other thing that I think is funny is I was looking at, I guess it was a video, about how somebody was questioning the Department of Justice, how there's this two-tiered justice system in this country. And, you know, they were basically being schooled that that is not the case, that the Department of Justice seeks out and treats all criminality with the same level of severity and certainly the same level of scrutiny that they did in this case. And I'm like, really? Interesting. How did this go on for, I think the tax issue was 2017, 2018. So that's what, five years now? Yeah. The gun charge, yeah. I think, is what, three years old? And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and now he's basically saying, okay, mea culpa, mea culpa. I, I missed that payment. It's my fault, but you have to forgive me because I was on drugs. Well, you know, Adam, we have a fine tradition in America where people apologize after they've been caught. And here we go again with that. What, you think he could have apologized and done it before he was caught? No, I'm just saying nobody ever does that. Oh, oh, okay. They see the light after they're in handcuffs, and suddenly they're very sorry for what they did. But uh, Ah. my guess is they would probably still be doing it otherwise had they not been caught. Right. Now, just out of of curiosity, we had a full-on like investigation, um, including but not limited to the FBI. I think we even had some Senate hearings on the Russian dossier, mm-hmm. which was proven to be false and a complete fabrication, etc., etc. And they had mobilized hundreds of people to investigate this. We've seen that they've laid, what, 37 charges against Donald Trump in Florida, I believe it is. Yeah, and I think and- the judge just moved the case out of Miami to Port St. Lucie or... Indian County somewhere in there in central Florida. Uh-huh. I did I did not Wait, see that. I saw that yesterday. The only reason I bring that up is I'm thinking it's probably to Trump's benefit because my guess is central Florida by and large is more conservative than oh, than Bay County. And absolutely. so I mean we've talked about the charges against Trump and when you get so many charges for something that hey, guess what? The sitting president's done the same thing and he wasn't even president with the documents in his garage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've sort of talked about the two-tier level of justice. You know, actually, there is only one tier, except you don't get on that tier if you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm thinking they've done a fabulous job, whoever it is, pyramiding charges against Donald Trump. And, you know, here's a guy that didn't pay his taxes and was running around with a gun and lied to the federal government on his firearms license. Mm-hmm. Not 37 charges. Three, yeah. maybe? Well, remember, that was the point that we heard more than one prosecutor raise. The more charges you see beyond a certain basic number, the more it's sort of like just piling on to try and yeah. make something stick in the court of public opinion. Well, there's right. 37 charges. He must have done something bad. Well, not necessarily, as we've seen with, what was it, the 24 charges they filed in New York against him? Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody takes that, that those charges seriously, particularly when that, I believe that was the DA that ran on a platform to get Trump. And I'm thinking, huh, representative of all people, disinterested, maybe not. So. Yeah, yeah, I recall that, too. That was his entire platform as he was going to get Trump. And mm-hmm. he certainly did his level best to do that. But again, we, it keeps harkening back to this sort of bifurcated system of justice. You know, we've got one group that seems to be able to come out and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry I did that. There's not, you know, 76 charges preferred against them. And the other group is like sitting there minding their own business at their home. And the next thing you know, you have a three in the morning raid on their residence looking for classified documents. Right. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, back in Rehoboth, there's piles of classified documents in a garage by the Corvette. 
Yeah, we haven't really heard that addressed at all, and DOJ doesn't seem to be in much of a hurry to deal with it, do they? Mm, not aware of not any charges having been all. filed. In fact, it seems to me as if that has just dropped from the headlines. You're right. It's totally disappeared. In fact, the House subcommittee that had been looking into the Biden family finances and has said that they have evidence of, I believe it was, what, a $10 million bribe in total paid to Hunter and to his father, split out among, mm-hmm. amongst other transactions going to various members of the Biden family. You haven't mm-hmm. seen much of that getting any attention either. It's all been focusing on the so-called Trump indictment. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might see it on a couple of networks like Newsmax or Fox or whatever, but it's just incredible to me that you don't see any of that major media outlets If only because you would think that's such a big story, but unfortunately it seems like they have become a mouthpiece of the Democratic Party by and large, which is very unsettling to say the least. Well, we had this discussion on other shows, and I think I might have even referred to Mark Levin's book, The Unfreedom of the Press, and how, again, it looks like it's funny because we can't say that Donald Trump's wrong. The liberal left-weaning, left-weaning, liberal <laughs> left-leaning media, once again, bearing the headlines. It's just gone. And as long as it's not controversial or, you know, or not targeting the right, it just doesn't get airtime. It just doesn't get any ink and, and it's dismissed. It, it, it is remarkable. I mean, I think the press for many decades has always kind of leaned somewhat left, but I, I frankly always assumed part of that was sort of inherent rebellion against not rebellion, but sort of seeing government in a skeptical way. So maybe they got viewed as being somewhat more liberal or left of center because you know, they were doing investigative reporting or whatever. But if it was that in the era of Walter Cronkite, it's certainly gone much further where it's just mm-hmm. become so politicized. And it's just surprising to me that it is that way, although I guess, as it's been explained to me, most people who study journalism, who get involved in media, tend to be more left of center. And not all. I mean, there are certainly people who are the other way, but, you know, they're actors. A lot of them find that their careers get impacted adversely because of their political views. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know why it's become so one way. Because, you know, that was the whole idea of having a free press, that it would sort of report on and, in essence, keep an eye on the other, well, the three branches of government. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it seems to be more a shill for the Democratic Party. I mean, I don't know how else you can put it at this point. No, I I don't think you can put it any other way, and I don't think that that would be a fair characterization of it, because every time you look at something, I mean, literally, I used to subscribe to a bunch of well-regarded publications that I have since dropped. I mean, like, for example, when The Economist started jumping on the F. Trump bandwagon, that was the end of that. I mean, I look to The Economist or The Financial Times or any of those to report what the facts are, you know, what is going on and who's doing what, not opining, just what the facts are. And it seems like we've talked about they're burying the headline. Unless it's detrimental to the right, it doesn't get printed. If it's complimentary or if it's something that's going to possibly exonerate or even vindicate somebody, it disappears. It's almost like that you know, the retraction that gets printed in the, the obituary page kind of thing. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up an interesting point because if you read Section A of any newspaper, you know, which is generally, you know, 
current events, whatever. And for example, you read an article about Trump, where you'll see a statement like, where it should say Trump allegedly interfered with the January 6th events or whatever, encouraged. Mm -hmm. They don't use the word allegedly. They just say he did it. Now, he hasn't been found guilty of anything relating to that in the court of law. They had that little TV event whereby a bunch of Democrats basically did a one-sided monologue on January 6th, but there was no opposing witnesses or anybody. It was just uh, kind of trotting different people out who were going to parrot whatever was going to fit the narrative. So it was kind of a mm -hmm. joke. And that's what I noticed you know, just looking at, I don't know, I was in a newsstand or something and looked at the front page and it's just reinvent. And you don't see, even see the benefit of the doubt aspect, which kind of comes when you use the word allegedly did this or allegedly did that. If they, mm -hmm. they don't like you, you did it, and they don't bother to say allegedly. And of oh. course, the standard for finding, you know, if you're a public figure, you know, the standard for being able to sue for slander or libel, since it's in a printed form, is really very high. And I remember hearing about several people that wanted to get a test case up to the Supreme Court to try and get mm -hmm. that standard lowered as a way of putting greater liability on newspapers for reporting falsely about mm -hmm. you know public figures, mm -hmm. politicians in this case, Trump most mm -hmm. likely in this case. And again, we're not an apologist for Trump. We think he shoots himself in the foot about as much as anybody we've ever seen. But uh, <laughs> the efforts that have been made from the time Hillary bankrolled the whole you know, Russiagate, or the Steele dossier, rather, mm -hmm. you know, the, the two impeachments and just on and on and on, every effort to cripple his presidency. I mean, that was really unprecedented. We've never seen mm -hmm. that kind of fiasco. So mm -hmm. here we are. Back with yeah, Hunter. Well, you, oh, yeah. And, you know, that brings up another thought. I mean, he's out there. He's basically, like, disappeared. In fact, somebody in one of the articles said they were printing up Where's Hunter t-shirts to figure out, like, almost like the Where's Waldo. But it's fascinating to me that he's got three charges. In this latest round, Trump's got 37. Georgia is threatening to file charges against Donald Trump, which I think is interesting, considering I don't think he's been there except for maybe one time on a campaign stop. I'm like, what are they going to charge him with? They're talking about charging him with election fraud and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, what the? Really? That was uh, based on his call to the Secretary of State asking them to make sure they count the votes accurately. Is that pretty much the gist of it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, one again, call but... For Trump. yeah, one call for Trump really gets him in a lot of trouble. I mean, it's amazing. I would suggest you almost want to just keep the phone out of his hand. And like you <laughs> said, we're not apologists for Donald Trump, but certainly see that there's a, let's let's just say a you know, double standard in the country as far as the judicial, or not even the judicial, but the Department of Justice goes. I mean, even though we're a little bit off the path here, how did somebody produce a patently false document, admit it into essentially evidence in several hearings, right? right? It was then later proven to be false. It was proven to have been funded by, once again, Hillary Clinton. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody was ever charged with anything. That's, to me, been the biggest curiosity about everything is that when you're actually found to be complicit in that sort of thing, there's got to be charges that can be filed against oh, you. Yeah. Now, I think Trump had sued her, but I guess we would have to ask the staff to check on the status of whether they went anywhere, if they got bounced out on some sort of technicality. But 100% certain that got bounced. Absolutely. Well, you know, Mr. Weaver, we have gotten pretty much to the top of our hour here regarding the Hunter Biden shenanigans. I think that I am going to have to shudder to say this, but I think I'm going to have to buy his biography just so I can read it. Oh, I can't wait to see the pictures, Adam. 
Adam. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> well, I'm thinking it might read a little bit like Dr. Jill's dissertation, which we've excoriated on another show. I'm hoping it reads a little bit better than Dr. Jill's dissertation. And we actually did read the dissertation, which, yes. uh, is, as I say, really struck me as more like a high school, very descriptive, non-theoretical analysis. I can't even remember what the topic was at this point, but I think it talked <laughs> about student participation and various things in the University of Delaware system. So, well, but, and, uh, that, and that's what inquiring minds want to know. Well, yeah, definitely mine did until I read it, and then I had no more need to inquire about it. But, Adam, <laughs> I think we should point out that we still have the sign of Tucker Carlson. I think I really kind of begun to give up hope that he's going to take up our very valuable offer to tutor him in the ways of hard-hitting journalism and right. you know we did offer him a very nice parking space and you know the cubicle nearest the vending machines so right i'm thinking maybe well, do you have mm-hmm. i was gonna say do you have anything else or anyone else on deck well i was thinking maybe part of the problem is that maybe we don't really need another hard-hitting journalist you know i think we have enough talent on this station to handle that stuff maybe we've mm-hmm. been going in the wrong you know society as a whole is it seems to be much more interested and to the extent society has an attention span anymore in the cultural stuff, celebrities, that type of thing, which uh, the Omaha Bugle has not really ever devoted much time or resources to. Mm-hmm. So we're now reaching out to America's favorite privileged couple. Beyonce and Jay-Z? No, we tried knocking on their door and it got chased off by the hounds. So we had to go to the next favorite couple just down the street in Montecito. And uh-huh. that's Harry and Megan. So really? you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, who better to take the pulse of American culture than Harry and Meghan? And so the thought we had when I was sort of running it by some of the top brass was, you know, if we can get them to become kind of like society commentators for us, you know, cultural commentators. Mm -hmm. Harry's uh, apparently had a lot of success with the book that he wrote. Apparently, believe it or not, it was the fastest uh, selling book and nonfiction book in many years, which I was frankly surprised to to hear that. And, you know, also we're thinking, you know, they might have a little bit of an issue now. They they have a very expensive lifestyle and Spotify just terminated their podcast deal, which apparently was due to the fact that Megan only made 12 podcasts in the space of two years. And that cost them about 10 million bucks. So I'm thinking that's not really a good return on investment if you're Spotify. I mean, no. So as witty and as wonderful as those podcasts probably are, you know, they're probably thinking, you know, we probably were expecting a few more podcasts than just 12. Yeah. So be that as it may, they've gotten cut loose by that. They've still got the Netflix deal, mm-hmm. which I don't know how that's going, but that was a pretty big deal as well. So mm-hmm. my understanding is they have a lot of money, but you don't want to let the preserves go too close to zero. So we're thinking, bring them aboard as you know, roving commentators on social trends, celebrity events, you know, things that are really important to most Americans. I'm wondering what uh-huh. your thoughts are about that. You know what? Who better to interpret the vagaries of, let's say, Americana than mm-hmm. a British noble and his actress wife? Well, particularly when they live on an estate behind a fence that's electrified with a pack of dogs running loose to keep any Americans far away. I'm thinking that would be quite a unique insight that they could provide. Exactly. So I'll let you know how that goes. We're okay. not sure yet. Perfect. Perfect. And I thought you had mentioned something about the suggestion of the daiquiri and the margarita, or is that for our next show? Well, that'll be our teaser. That'll be for the next okay. show. And, and that's right. something the audience can participate in, too. 
Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Excellent. All right. Well, Mr. Weaver, our time together for today is up. We need to thank our audience once again for joining us. And again, from the news desk, it is once again senior correspondent Jeff Weaver and Adam Von Romer from the Global News Network of the Omaha Bugle wishing you a good night. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you all in the next session.